have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. And today we're having a special, you know, day. We're going to have a biblical questions on the fly. Again, we're having our special guest who is uh, Angela Montez. Hi. And um, so this is a real blessing and a real joy. This is always real fun. So you never know what Angela is going to come up with and what she's going to talk or ask about. So anyway, uh, just to let you know, uh, we're also looking for some sponsors. If anybody is uh, in the United States, if you're looking to sponsor or support our ministry, uh, we'd like to welcome you to be a sponsor for our program. And uh, we thank for all of our sponsors so far who are here and, and with us. So anyway, um, let me let me talk to Angela and see how she's doing. How are you doing, Angela? I'm doing great, Ellen. I am um, headed to Corpus in a little bit after we finish this up because um, I have some work to do down there. Um, but yeah, the day is beautiful. I am in transition. I finally found a place to live. I've sold my house, so I've been trying to figure out where I'm going. So God's good. He put it in the right spot where I need it to be. Um, I try to figure out my next steps since I'm an empty nester in a couple of weeks. Um, Isabel leaves to Baylor on the 19th of August, and my oldest daughter graduates from Army boot camp uh, next Friday. So it's a super exciting time in my life. And Isabel is also one of your daughters. Isabel's also my daughter. Okay. She's my youngest. <laughs> sick and bears. Oh, sick and bears. So, um, tell us, remind us again uh, about the company you work for, your nonprofit, and what you do, and tell us if there's any kind of uh, new things that they're doing, and, and um, so that we can know what to pray for and what to, uh, how to support you. Yeah, perfect. Um, so, I work for the National Service Office of Nurse Family Partnership and Child First. Um, I'm a nurse consultant for the Nurse Family Partnership Program, and I cover... Uh, Texas. Um, we have 27 sites in Texas and, um, I have 13 of those and I have a, um, a partner that covers the other half of it. Um, but we collaborate together. So if any of the sites need help, then we do that. And we help to guide their nursing practice and, and help spread NFP and really try to, um, dive in where some of our most vulnerable moms and babies are. Um, and help them feel good about themselves and their parenting, um, as well as improving health outcomes uh, in that population, as well as um, uh, assisting them with um, just being a good parent. Um, so one of the things that we're doing definitely within our organization in, in Texas, who actually funds us uh, Prevention Early Intervention, which is part of... Um, the Department of Family Protective Services. It's not CPS. It's a completely different vision, division um, because they're in, like, how do we prevent kids from going into the system, right? How do we help families at their most vulnerable time, which is usually when they're having their children because a lot of stress happens at that time. So um, they're targeting really wanting to reach out to pregnant and parenting foster youth and um, really dive that so we know a lot of the population lives around San Antonio area. Um, Dallas and Houston are the biggest areas where we have um, pregnant and parenting foster teens. So what we hope to do is um, find ways to make sure we're getting the referrals from the agencies who do serve them and uh, be able to provide them with their own personal nurse that helps guide them and mentor them. Um, and we also then help them hook up with different services around maybe in their community to help them. Um, we stay with the moms from pregnancy until the age of two. Um, they are the hardest because Texas has a huge problem with foster care right now. Um, and we're hoping to tap into them there. They get moved quite often and frequently. They don't have a lot of the supports um, that we, most of us have. We don't, may or may not have family um, or, you know, healthy and safe friends. So uh, we just would like to be able to reach out more to those. So that's kind of what we're targeting on right now. So if anybody wants to um, know more about your your nonprofit, your agency, they mm -hmm. can um, go to our website, uh, 
www.thebelieversjourney.net, probably by tomorrow or so, we'll have the link up and they can go right to your website. Is that correct? Yes. I'm laughing because Ellen has asked me twice for this. And I'm one of those people that once I finish something, then I'm moving on to the next. Um, so I had to actually write it in my calendar to provide it for him tonight. But yes, yes, absolutely. And it's not just for foster teens and moms. It's for um, any women who are pregnant with their first time baby and um, are on Medicaid or WIC. It's a program that the state invests in because they believe in what we do and we have um, evidence-based outcomes that continue to uh, enhance the communities and where we live. Good. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I want to let all of our viewers know that we've kind of hit the, since we've come over to um, YouTube Live, we've hit the 4,000 uh, viewer mark for the last few, last few uh, Wednesdays now, last few weeks, which is kind of a big thing. We were at the 10,000 mark with uh, Facebook, but since we moved over, we've started from ground zero and then we're moving up. So it's been kind of nice to see our viewership go up. And um, so if uh, one thing I would really like to see is if we can get more people to comment, especially more people to subscribe to our, uh, our, our show, basically our channel. And the way you do that is you just click on the subscribe button on the right hand side or, or top side, whichever you're on your phone or you're on a desktop. And it doesn't cost anything to subscribe. All it does is that when you want to watch our show, it's in your little subscriptions. You just click the button, subscri subscriptions, you'll see our name because you've subscribed to it, and it opens up all of our videos. And that's all it is. So um, anyway, uh, so let's get to it. We'll go ahead and start asking some questions. So basically, here we go. Angela, you're on cue. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so I told him i go easy at first, and then we'll dive a little bit deeper. Um, okay, so this question is from Eastern Europe. I, was, I thought it was a good place to start. Um, why is it important that we know what God's characteristics are? Isn't it enough to know that we are saved by the cross and the blood of the Lamb, Jesus? Um, so we're not saved because of how much we know. I mean, let's, let's put that on the table right now. Uh, it's not important that we know all the theology of the world, we know all the Gospels, we know all the information. That's really not what's important. It is what's important for salvation is that we enter into a relationship with Jesus, okay? That we actually make him Lord of our life, okay? In that process of making Jesus Lord of our life, he becomes our Savior, and he saves us from sin. He saves us from the result of sin, which is, you know, uh, death or, or separation from God. The important thing that I teach about why it's important to know the characteristics of God is because it helps us to understand God more and better, and it helps us to build character in our lives and sustain our lives with, with a better uh, lifestyle, Okay which is what the Bible teaches us to do, is to live a better lifestyle. Live a lifestyle, not just that is good, but a lifestyle that is better in Christ. That is a lifestyle that we follow the teachings of Jesus, follow the teachings of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And if we don't learn the characteristics of God, then how is it that we can actually follow the teachings? I mean, first characteristic, first and foremost is God is holy. So holiness is your first and basic uh, characteristic. And from holiness, we have all the other little characteristics, like whether it be love or whether it be forgiveness or uh, anger. All these characteristics of God are things we need to, to learn. If you go into Galatians chapter 5, we'll learn the fruit of the Spirit, which are all characteristics of God. So anyway, the as far as the character, knowing the characteristics and why it is for, important for salvation, it really isn't your groundwork for salvation. It's just good to help you um, learn and become a Christian, not become a Christian, but to help you to substantiate your life and grow in Jesus. Okay? So the blood of the cross, Jesus in salvation is all about that. But the growth comes from 
you know, I would think the bottom line is understanding who God is. And the way you understand it is to learn what his characteristic is. Mm-hmm. I think it's very true. I think because um, you know, I go to CBC uh, and then I attend your Bible study at, at Fellowship of San Antonio, both great churches, love them both. Um, and what they've been in that series of the Ten Commandments and why it's important to live um, within those. Right. And we all fail. I mean, we just do. I, I do every day. I have to apologize. I fail. Um, but living that way, if we know what God wants us and how he wants us to live, then we're able to stay in it. Whereas, I mean, we were talking about, I think angels, mm, but on Sunday, um, and we're going this, the characteristics personifies God, right? It personifies God, gives him, it makes him seem a little more real. But I think if you don't know what his characteristics are and you don't know what that is, then you really don't know how you're supposed to live your life. And it's easy to be persuaded into things that are not holy. Um, and I think it's so true today, especially with uh, so much social media, um, and news and difference of opinions that we, we fall away from what's true. Um, and we grasp on to what, what sounds good to us at the moment. Yeah. And maybe to justify the things that we do in our life. And, and I'm like, I'm guilty of that. Like I've justified, I can justify about anything. Right. Um, but when you go back and you compare it to what the 10 commandments, right. And what God and being the characteristic of God of loving and forgiveness and, you know, and anger, you said is part of it. And I think sometimes we, um, feel anger is a sin. And so I, I, I'd like to hear more about, you know, the anger of God, like, what does that look like? And, um, how do we stay, how can we be angry without going to the point where we start sinning? Like we, then we start seeking revenge. Cause that's a, I know we all like get to that, Matt, I'm going to say we all, I'm going to say myself, we'll get to that point when I'm angry, I'm going, I mean, it takes a lot to get me there, but when you get me there, man, you better start running. Like, <laughs> you better run. Cause I'm coming. Well, I think the very basis of, of everything here, as we talk about Christianity, and I would say this is also true for pure Judaism, not the Judaism we know of today or even that of, of the day of Jesus, but pure Judaism from the beginning, is that um, to be a believer is having that relationship with him, personal relationship, and having that relationship with other believers. So when we understand that it's a relationship, understanding that the characteristics, what the characteristics are, and we talk about, well, there it's God is holy, God is love, God is forgiveness, God is kind, God is all these things, then it's easier for us to understand what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a believer. And we understand even like in the Ten Commandments you, you opened up, well, we start realizing that the Ten Commandments aren't a bunch of rules and regulations. It is how to live a life in a relationship with both him and other believers. Mm-hmm. So it's a total relationship when, it's, when you consider what Christianity is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. You know, and growing up, I've, I've heard the Ten Commandments and, and watched Moses and watched on TV Charles Hester. Hester, right? Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, so it's just interesting to hear it now as an adult and then being in the spiritual growth because I don't have any qualifications of sitting here other than that I'm a Christian um, and that I believe. And Alan seems to think I'm good at this. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it definitely, you know, opens up a little bit more inside me where I understand a little bit better um, and why it's important to live that way. And even for my own life, riding the fence for so long, um, Stepping, taking that commitment to step over all into one side and leave it behind. I understand even more now why it's so important and how painful I made it for myself by riding the fence because I wasn't living in the way that God wanted me to live. And most people don't realize it's painful until they realize where they are and where, and when they get off and look back, oh man, why was I there? Yeah. I'm tired of riding yeah. the fence. Like I'm done. I'm, I don't want to live the last half of my life, you know, riding a fence and still going yeah. through pain. <clears throat> so it's all good. Okay. So we talked a little bit about, you touched on, I heard you say some things of the fruits of the spirit. And this question kind of relates to that piece. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm curious cause I've always, I grew up in a church that talked in tongues. Um, and I didn't know it was very charismatic 
Um, and it kind of scared me away for a little bit. Um, it's part of the reason why I stopped going for a while. Um, and then resumed later when I realized that not all churches churches are that way. Um, this is from Canada. It says, I used to go to a church where the pastor told me that if I was not filled with the Holy ghost and spoken tongues, that I was lost and could not go to heaven. Where does the Bible teach this? Okay. Um, so for those of you who are my charismatic and Pentecostal friends, you know, it really doesn't teach this in the Bible. It is uh, something that is interpreted from that denomination in order to have the denomination that they have. So I did a whole uh, two one-hour shows on the Holy Spirit. And this could be either a long answer, a medium type, or a short. But so to, to in order to get to the rest of the questions, um, you should look at those two videos because I talk about the gifts of the Spirit and I talk about the fruit of the Spirit and I talk about how, you know, it's important to understand that um, it's not speaking in tongues that gives you salvation. I mean, that just is not reality. It's not scriptural. In fact, I would say that that is a, a terrible, terrible way to to present uh, your belief in order for somebody to become saved. Mm-hmm. I correct myself. I said fruits of spirit. I meant gifts yeah, of spirit. Yeah, fruit of the spirit. Yeah, gifts of spirit. One of them is speaking in tongues. Correct. Yeah, the okay. fruit. The yeah, no, that's a gift. So the gift yeah, of the spirit the is. Uh, uh, if you look in First Corinthians chapter twelve, you'll see you see a whole list of uh, gift of the spirit, gifts of the spirit, which mm-hmm. are like, you know. An apostle, a healer, a teacher, um, a preacher, a healer. Did I say healer already? I said healer, yeah. Okay. Um, it's Wednesday. Then you <laughs> it's Wednesday. Hump day. Yeah. And then you have uh, prophecy. You have those who speak in tongues. You have those interpret in tongues. But you also have in Ephesians chapter 4 another list of uh, gifts of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that Paul says in chapter 12 of first Corinthians, he says, not everybody is going to be a healer. Not everybody is going to uh, be a preacher or an apostle or speak in tongues or interpret. So if they're trying to claim that everybody who has to speak in tongues in order to be saved, then they're going totally against scripture itself Mm -hmm. uh, that Paul wrote in Corinthians. I like that. Thank you. Um, So then the question then begs, this is from Eastern Europe. How do I know what is a good church service to attend? And this one specifically was online because there's so many, you've talked about denominations, the different Mm -hmm. denominations. Um, And I know there's not one best denomination. Like that's not what God intended. I know that much. But for people who are, you know, attending online, who may not be able to, because in Eastern Europe, they may not be able to attend church. There are places that it's illegal and they're prosecuted. So, but they can stream it in. What would be a good church service to attend on YouTube. And when we, just so everybody understands this, there are some areas that uh, we know that what country that we're getting these questions from, but if it is a country that we feel there's persecution, we will not name the country. We will just say Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. So in that regard, it could be many different, of many different countries. So, I'm going to address this to Eastern Europe. I'm going to address it to the United States and everywhere else in the free world. But first off, to Eastern Europe. Um, what's really important, I believe, is that you understand that that in order to um, find something or someone who is teaching appropriately, and I, what I mean is accurately to the scriptures, it's, it's not all that easy because... You have a lot of preachers, you have a lot of teachers, you know, myself included, you know, who claim that we are teaching the truth. They claim that we um, are bringing to you what is uh, based from the Bible. Um, I cannot tell you that that's true for every single person who says this or teaches this or preaches this. This is something that uh, it's important for you as a uh, believer need to go to the scriptures and and seek out, is that person teaching the accurate truth? Are they going to the scripture and pulling it out, or are they interpreting to fit their own theology, their own uh, denomination, if you will, for their their own purpose? So I read something um, 
from somebody the other day that it's it's not that we find a good teaching to fit our church. We need to fit our, have our church fit a good teaching, mm-hmm. a biblical teaching. And mm-hmm. I think that that's important. I do understand that there are a lot of people in different countries, not only in Eastern Europe, but also in Asia mm-hmm. and some places in Africa where, you know, there is a definite, definite um, tribulation. There's definite persecution for those who attend church. I mean, there are people who get their homes raided or their churches raided and, and there's a, there's jail time, there's torture. So I do understand this. And so um, just be careful of who you look for, who you watch, what they're saying, and make sure you take the time. If you're really diligent and really want to know what is the truth, then you need to take what people say, what te- people teach and preach, mm-hmm. and go to your scripture at home you know, and read and look up what they are saying is absolutely the truth. That's how you know what is good to go to in if you're online. Um, as far as denominations, you know, my problem with denominations isn't that there are denominations, because I do believe denominations are a good thing. The reason I think it's a good thing is because um, we have the freedom to choose to worship in our own belief structure, not belief of Jesus, but let's say belief of the side areas. You know, if, if I'm in a church that I want to uh, emulate the gifts of the Spirit, then your Pentecostal and your charismatic churches are good to go to. If I don't want to do that, well, then your other churches are good to go to. If I want to believe that once I'm saved, I always saved, then, you know, it's good to go to a church that has Calvinistic teachings. If I believe that I have free will and that I can walk away from, you know, serving God, then it's good to go to a Wesleyan or Armenian church. So those things are good. Um, I think that we just need to be careful of denominations that you can say, well, gee, I'm a Methodist. You're a Baptist. Well, you're not saved. You're not going to heaven because you're not a Methodist. Now, that's terrible, and that's not scriptural, and that's basically a very big judgmental thing that mm-hmm. you're, you're taking away the very essence of what Jesus has taught. Um, he didn't teach to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, uh, one or the other, that they were not going to heaven because they weren't the other. So... He only taught to all of them about living a certain life and making him his their Lord. Okay. So as far as those people in the United States, in Canada, in the free world, you know, I, I think it's um, it's sad because we've, uh, we've come into a, a place of complacency. Mm. We went through a whole year of um, this pandemic. Okay, and there were churches that were closed. There were churches that were not closed. There were churches that separated seats or you wear a mask. And so a lot of people, by the thousands, if not millions, started watching church from Zoom or from YouTube or something online. And so I was just talking to somebody the other day. They said they, they normally would do something stuff on their their day they go to church and then when it was, they were ready to get ready, they go in, they get dressed, and they go to attend church, and that was that. Now it's like they are doing their thing. Oh, it's time to go to watch YouTube or Zoom, just watch their service, and that's their service. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I caution everybody about that because the Bible doesn't teach us to of course, they didn't have Zoom back then, so I, you know, but but they didn't. You never it, know; they could have. Yeah. Well, no, I doubt it. <laughs> However, in Hebrews, it t- says the, the writer of Hebrews says not to forsake the assembling of yourselves. Yeah. I mean, why do we why do we assemble? Why do we get together? Well, Ephesians four tells us it says we get together to lift one another up, to pray mm-hmm. for one another, to boost up one another, to make the the um, you bring, bring unity into uh, the fold, into the church. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's so comfortable, and I work I work from home. I work remotely, and it's so easy for me to just stay in my yoga pants all day, <laughs> not do anything, or pot around my house and do a little stuff here and there, um, play with my dog. But uh, yeah, and I even had friends that did the same thing. They're very committed prior to COVID to going every Sunday um, and then just got easy, easy to wake up late and grab a coffee cup. Um, And then you just find, you know, your relationships deteriorating 
um, with Christ and with the people who are in the church with you, which uh, going back has been amazing. Cause then you, you say hi and you get to know people and you see them out and in public other places and you've got that fellow believer. You don't feel so isolated and alone because it can be a lonely process, especially with when all of our information is coming through our phone and our computers. Yeah. Well, real, real ministry comes in the group or the assembling of um, a group of people, Uh, accountability to one another, ministry to one another, prayer for one another, um, sharing what your needs are. That's where real ministry comes. That's where real strength comes. That's where growth comes. I don't know if there's much growth in going to your television and watching it for 30 minutes and saying, oh, that was nice and good, and going back off and doing what you want. I mean, if we go back to the Ten Commandments, it says that we need to set a day aside, you know, uh, not not a half hour, not not just to watch something on on your uh, boob tube. And think you've, you've done it all. Because... I haven't heard that term in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> You're dating yourself, Alan. <laughs> well, I got the white hair to show it. So, but so I, I think it's important that we do, even in, even if you're in a country where there is persecution or it's not easy. I mean, I know when we go to Moldova, that there's problems in going to uh, a small or a evangelical church opposed to the Orthodox church. Um, the church, the country there is mostly uh, over about 90% what they call Orthodox. And so the Orthodox church is like a state church. And um, for those people who are, have families involved with the Orthodox church, mm-hmm. now what they're doing is the evangelicals have moved in and they have home churches or buildings and so forth. And so those people who are, have Orthodox family or connections, they, ridicule, persecute, they cut off those who go to the uh, evangelical churches, claiming that that's an occult, it's a cult. So it's, it's, uh, it's not a lot of real persecution, but it is somewhat. So, uh, but they find odd times to meet, whether it be a four o'clock Sunday afternoon or one o'clock Sunday afternoon, it's just different times. So therefore that's what they did in the early church. You know, they met on Saturdays or finding persecution so to avoid the persecution, they started meeting on Sundays. That's how, on the Lord's Day. That's how we have Sunday meetings now through history is because the early church tried to avoid the persecution, but they still wanted to meet. And so they just changed their day to the day that they wouldn't be found out. Mm-hmm. So there are differences and I think there are ways to do it. And it's important if we try to do what we can um, because that's where your real growth is. If you really want to grow, if you really want to become more like Jesus, mm-hmm. it's, the, it's the interaction you have with other believers. Yeah, and that, that strikes a chord in me because I, I totally forgot about this until you said this. Um, so the few times that I was like, oh, I'm just going to stay home. I'm just going to stay home and watch it online. I'll be fine. Something happened at church that I should have been there, right? And so Isabel's like, I bet you wish you'd gone to church. I'm like, yeah, I did. So now I feel that when I start to feel like, oh, just stay home and watch it online, which I almost did this Sunday. Um, and I walked in and I, one, a friend of ours, Yvette, um, I've never seen her there at the nine o'clock service. And I've been going for 18 years at CBC. And it just so happened she was at the front the same time I was and was in need. Like her, her daughter's best friend, she, her daughter went over to her best friend's house and found her dead. And, and it was devastating for, for Yvette. And so she needed someone to sit with her and to pray with her in church. And had I stayed at home, I would have missed that connection, you know, yeah. and not be able to be able to do what God wants us to do. And this is the very reason why we get together for that mm-hmm. very reason there is that we are supporting one another, yeah. that we're uplifting one another, that they know they're praying for us. And, and we know that we're praying for them. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Sit with them. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I've heard you say tribulation, which brought me to my next question. And again, this is from Eastern Europe. So how do we know when the seven year tribulation begins? (laughs) All about the rapture right now. It's 2021 and COVID. (laughs) Well, you know, when I go to Moldova and Romania, it's like I get these questions all the time about the end times. It's a big, hot issue over there in Eastern Europe, Moldova, all that area. it's, It's a hot issue. And um, I'm actually going to be start teaching about the end times in, in a week and a half on my Sundays. But um, 
most people, unfortunately, think and believe that the tribulation starts when the rapture happens. That's the that's the happening and the beginning of the tribulation. The Bible never, ever, ever teaches this. You won't find it in the Bible. And it basically, in order to understand the tribulation, you have to read your Old Testament. You have to read Daniel, especially. You have to read Ezekiel. You have to read some of these books that talk about the the tribulation period, the time of that area. So what we understand that is supposed to trigger the tribulation is supposed to be a treaty with Israel. Mm-hmm. Now, it's really hard to do because Israel signs treaties every week, basically. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but they really do. They, they sign treaties all the time. So knowing uh, when the tribulation based on a treaty, it's hard to tell. Mm-hmm. So after saying that... Um, let me get my thought here. Well, it kind of ties into this other question that someone asked about. They had said you, that in a previous episode, you said the end times begin after the death or resurrection of Jesus, but you also said that the end times begin when Israel became a nation in 1948. So they kind of want to know which one is correct. Well, yeah, but that's two different things. Okay, let, let, me, get, let me stay with the tribulation and we'll get right to that. Mm-hmm. So the tribulation, and there's... Um, we have this what they call the seven year tribulation. Okay, however, it's broken up in in two in halves, two pieces. You have the first part. The great tribulation is not all seven years. The great tribulation is the last three and a half years. Okay, what they call the first three and a half years is the time of sorrow. Okay, when things are happening that uh, lead up to the last three and a half years. The part that actually triggers the last three and a half years are supposedly the um, temple is going to be built and desecrated by uh, the man of lawlessness, which is what we call the Antichrist. Once that happens, that treaty with Israel is broken, and then the, the Great Tribulation begins for three and a half years. Hmm. That's interesting. That makes sense. It makes sense, especially with when uh, we talk about that with the U.S., in the treaty with Israel. Yeah. As far as when the tribulation begins, mm-hmm. nobody really knows. Um, getting to the, to tie in that second question about the end times. Uh, yeah. I said that, um, that our, what we look at at the end times begins when Israel, when the Jews be, come back and regain their country, Israel. Okay. Mm-hmm. However, we cannot ignore uh, Matthew chapter 24 because Jesus is talking about the end times. And he actually, he talks about the end times and he begins with the destruction of the temple, which is in 70 AD. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we have all these 1500 years, seven, or 2000 years, or 1500 years basically, or 1900 years rather, that we have all this time elapse until we have the Jews coming back to Israel and forming their nation. Mm-hmm. And then you have forming their nation in one day. And that's actually a prophecy written in Isaiah. And uh, then it talks about, uh, we have the, they start their dead language. Their Hebrew starts all over. All the Jews coming back from all over the world. That's something that Jesus talked about. Mm-hmm. Well, they couldn't, unless they were dispersed, they couldn't come, they wouldn't come back. That was something Jesus talked about. And they were dispersed in 70 AD. So they were dispersed right away in the first century. So when I talk about the end times, as we see the end times today, and we look at all of the um, different situations going on, why I picked out, um, in my belief, why I picked out the, the time when the Jews came back to Israel is because it seems like that triggers a lot of happenings from then until now. Mm-hmm. We have more and more earthquakes. We have more and more tsunamis. We have more and more uh, situations around the earth. Mm -hmm. You know, we have uh, other problems, other situations going on. Uh, I, I, in fact, um, in my studies recently, in the last couple of years, I've realized that I believe that the, the seals, the seven seals, which have always been taught that they're inside and after the beginning of the, of the tribulation, 
I've come to think or believe that those things are not in the, um, at least the first four are not in the tribulation itself, that there's some time before. And the reason I say that is because the first horse, which is a white horse with a crown, is a horse of deception. And we're talking about deception to the world. We're talking about the church deception. Uh, someone who white, somebody showing that they are pure, but they're really de deceiving with a sword, which is, you know, basically, you know, it's really bad. Mm -hmm. So when you look at our, our world, you see a lot of deception in the church. And, oh, yeah. and it's pretty evident. When you talk about, you know... Um, Pestilence, okay? There's another horse of pestilence. And we've seen, you know, COVID, uh, SARS, um, HIV, possibly even the Spanish Spanish flu. I don't know. But because uh, that goes before mm -hmm. uh, Israel, 1948. So basically, I'm seeing all these things happening, the, the, the taking away of peace from the, from the earth. When you look at people of their own kind rebelling, mm -hmm. Uh, rioting and killing one another. That's peace from the world. And you've yeah. seen it worldwide. Oh, yeah. So, uh, and you're seeing from pestilence, death. We've had deaths from pestilences that, that probably almost are about a billion people. Mm -hmm. So when you see that it's supposed to be a quarter of the population, we're almost there. Mm -hmm. So I believe that uh, the seals, at least the four horses have begun already. I don't think that they're and they don't, and in the four seals, what's really interesting, the first four horses don't have an end time. It, mm -hmm. It's like it, it, one builds off the other and they continue. So it's a really interesting um, segment here and it's a really interesting deal. Whenever I want to talk about the tribulation, whenever I want to talk about um, the end times, because uh, I know people are fascinated, people get mm -hmm. afraid of it, people, uh, they uh, really have a lot of different ideas. Um, what the thing is that's important is that uh, your relationship with Jesus is on track and stays on track, that your, your life is uh, emulating and that he is the Lord of your life and you remain that way. That really is the bottom line for all of this end times, tribulation, you know, and that should put your mind to ease. Yeah, I think we spend so much time talking about the end times, and we're so worried about it. And I even remember growing up um, uh, in my house, and, and church was a huge part of it. We were at church every day except Tuesday and Thursday, I think, just those two days. But uh, <laughs> my mom was a firm believer, and um, it was talked a lot about. And we spend so much time waiting for the end and looking at the end and being fearful of the end that we forget to enjoy the present moment of what we're supposed to be doing in this time. And and really, the end times is supposed to be a time of hope for the believer. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're afraid of it, then you need to ask, why am I afraid? This is the time when Jesus comes for his own. This is the time that he is building up this whole situation so mm -hmm. that he comes and sets up his millennial reign. So really, it's a, it's a good time for us. It's not a good time for those who are not, not believers, who do not follow the teachings of Jesus. Okay. Um, okay, is that part yet? Yeah, that made me think about um, on Sunday when someone in our study said that while we're here, we're supposed to take as many people with us as possible and bring you Jesus. And with the enemy, because we, we know we win, we win in the end. Right? We know. Yeah. Um, and the enemy's not going to win, so we're not fighting the enemy on winning. It's, you know, not allowing him to come into, into others, right, and take those away when there's so much better for them in life. Yeah. Yeah. It's easier to see when you're on the outside of it looking in than if you're in the midst of it, I think. Or at least that's been my experience. Um, so, I don't know, this kind of question is very similar to the rapture. Or to what you were talking about. So this is from a little bit. It's like, when is the rapture? I don't, we just don't know. We don't know. And um, so there's basically uh, four main teachings of the rapture. Okay. And basically, if you don't know that, that's the truth. You can look it up. You have what they call pre-tribulation rapture. You have mid-trib rapture. You have what they call wrath rapture. rapture and then you have post-trib. So let me go through them real quick. Pre-trib is believing that that uh, before the tribulation starts, that Jesus is going to come and rapture you um, in the air and meet him in the sky, okay? 
and take you from the earth. And then the tribulation is going to go on for seven years. The mid-trib is the belief that after the Antichrist is revealed, which is three and a half years in, halfway through, then Jesus is going to come and rapture at that point. And then the wrath trap, wrath trib, is uh, when they believe it's toward the end, before the bowls, uh, I'm sorry, before the, like this, the last bowl or the seventh uh, uh, tr uh, trumpet, because they believe, just like all of them believe, that um, God is not going to put judgment and punishment on believers. So we have to be gone by that time when that last deal where God actually punishes everyone there. Mm -hmm. So their belief is that we will be gone at that point, which is about three to six months probably outside of his actual return. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the fourth one is that when Jesus actually is returning to conquer, we meet him in the air and then we come down with him. And so those are the four. The, the last one I... I mean, the three. There's three of them: the the mid wrath and and post trip. They all have a lot of scripture that actually points to, like in Thessalonians, you have the one about the mid trip. Of course, the mid tribbers say it's pre trip because they don't see the first three and a half years as the great tribulation. They see the last three and a half years as the great tribulation. So they actually will call it, you know, pre trip. But as we look at seven years, it's mid trip. So they believe once that's happened, there are scriptures like in Thessalonians where, you know, when the man of lawlessness is revealed, then we will be caught up in the air. Mm -hmm. There's also a passage in uh, the latter part of uh, Revelation. I think it's in 19 where Jesus says, you know, I'm coming in a twinkling of an eye. You know, one will be there, one will disappear and so forth, which is toward the end of the time of the tribulation. Mm -hmm. The pre-trib, there are no real scriptures that say it's going to happen at this point of time. Um, that uh, theory of the pre-trib is only created back in about 1840. And the whole idea was God loves us so much that he wouldn't let us go through any kind of a persecution like mm -hmm. the tribulation. Yeah. Which is really bad and not scriptural. If you were to go through the uh, first year, uh, I'm sorry, first century of the church, you have all, all but one of the disciples. You have uh, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people who were crucified on the cross who were believers of Jesus. And so the very idea and theory that, that Jesus wouldn't let harm come to us, you know, so he's going to rapture us first. Well, then what, what are we saying about his own disciples that he let harm come to? That he didn't mm -hmm. love them. Right. I mean, so it's not it's contradictory to the scripture, and that's why it's really I don't follow the the pre-trib yeah. at all. So he never promised us that we wouldn't walk through something, but he he promised us he would never leave us right time. Right. And so in those moments of tribulation that we have in our own lives, is where we are forged in the fire to become stronger in our faith and be able to be that testimony. Uh, this is what he's done in my life. Yeah. Um, so it's all about being ready and, and walking with him. And no matter yeah. what happens to you, uh, if your life is taken, it, no matter what, that you know you're in him. Yeah. And it's not to say, because I've had this, you know, posed to me too. There are people, and my sister Lisa is one of them. Um, she has been a believer since birth. Like she believes because she believes and it's really, she's never strayed away from that. And so I hear Christians who have that just innate sense to just believe and not really haven't gone through something difficult that um, they've had to have this like transformation. Um, you know, they don't feel that fire or am I not a good enough Christian? I'm like, that's not true. Your path is a different path than the path that, yeah. and I made it harder for myself. And right? I don't believe there's any such thing as a good Christian. Uh, you either are mature or immature. Right. Uh, you either are a believer or you're not a believer. And a believer isn't somebody who says, I understand he's real. A believer is somebody who actually follows the teachings mm. and, and is active. Yeah. I still consider myself an immature Christian. Still most, most of us are. <laughs> <laughs> Susan, would you think uh, Alan's an immature Christian? No. Okay. His wife says no. Just immature man. Oh, she's not telling us. She'll tell me later. All right. <laughs> Back on task. Um, okay. So this is a good question. We're talking about um, tribulation and dying. And uh, this one's actually from the United States. 
And I think, I don't know, I haven't heard this before, but this has, I have a genuine question. My friend who had no previous health problems died of COVID. There are all these comments debunking the vaccine, saying it means 666, et cetera. But what about the actual disease COVID? Is, it is real. I know many people who caught it, luckily most recover, but it is real. I only received my first dose because I was basically forced to, but am I just doomed for all eternity now because of it? I just don't understand. I think that comes from the thought that people think that receiving the vaccine is the mark of the beast. Right. You know, um, I hadn't heard the 666 piece of it. Well, that is the mark of the beast. Yeah. I mean, of like the COVID vaccine being 666. Yeah. And I've, I've received many, many, many comments and questions regarding the belief that taking the vaccine is you're going to receive the mark of the beast. <laughs> Do we even know what the mark of the beast is? Yeah. Um, the problem is, is that if you believe that, um, if you if you understand the Bible, the mark of the beast comes from the Bible. So um, people that don't understand the Bible don't understand the mark of the beast. <laughs> Um, I think it's just thrown out there. It's really funny. I mean, I used to work in a store when I was a kid and, and I was, somebody bought some stuff and it came to $6 and 66 cents. Oh no, oh no, that's the marks. We had to buy some gum (laughs) 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 to make like $7. But really the mark of the beast is, is not something that we're going to be given without notification. It's going to be something that's going to, we're going to voluntarily choose. Okay. It's something that is going to be chosen to to what we're loyal to. Okay, mm-hmm. the mark of the beast is given by the by the beast. Okay, uh, in order for you to worship and follow the antichrist, you're you're not wanting to follow Jesus, mm-hmm. and so um, mm-hmm. to be given. The mark, first off, the Antichrist has to be here, okay? I did a little show on this already because of so many questions I received. I did a little mm-hmm. program, a 15-minute thing on here. But if the Antichrist is not here and open to the entire world, then there's no beast, then there's no mark. It's impossible. It can't be. Uh, plus, if I'm being given the, uh, a vaccine for, you know, because I'm thinking that I'm uh, uh, having to protect myself from a virus, well, that has nothing to do with the mark. Also, um, like, for example, I uh, was not going to get the mark. I mean, I'm sorry. I was not going to get the <laughs> <laughs> Rewind. <laughs> I was not it's going to Wednesday. get, I was not going to get the, um, the, the, uh, the vaccine. And the reason I wasn't going to get the vaccine, because at the time when they, they were offering it at the beginning, it, it just, the political arena was so bad the money part of it was so bad. The dishonesty was so bad. It's like, I don't know what I believe. I don't know what I trust. And I really don't trust a lot. But then um, the, the doors were opening for me to go back out to Moldova and minister. So, But in order to go to Moldova, I have to have vaccine. Mm-hmm. So I'm called to the ministry to, to work there. I mean, Moldova is my ministry, my place I go. So I decided that regardless of what the vaccine was, I, my calling was first to, to Jesus to uh, teach uh, that which I'm called to do to those people who are in Moldova. So I went ahead and got the vaccine, and um, I'm still, you know, breathing, but <laughs> but there's but there's not a, been a problem. Yeah. Um, you're not doomed for eternity if you took. The vaccine. It is not the mark of the beast. There's just no way it can be because you're not choosing to serve uh, the Antichrist and you're you're not choosing to be disloyal to God. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really the ultimate thing. You're choosing that. It's not somebody just giving it to you. Um, And the mark of the beast has to do with buying and selling goods, you know. Um, where we live, and this has nothing to do with this at all. So the yeah, people almost been, and it has always been for me that reference yeah. that movie Left Behind. Is it Left Behind? Left Behind. And it's where they put the chip in. Yeah, and we are so close to that, and so it freaks me out. Like to have something like that inserted in my skin. Well, it's and it's, it may not be true, but for me, it's like woo, someone yeah. did that and be like, eh, no, sorry. Well, so when we look at that, the two are not the same. So yeah. there's no real worry or fear. Or should no be no really worry or fear of the vaccine, 
based on the mark of the beast or the 666 or however you want to look at that. That's something that's fallacy. It's not accurate according to the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, and there's so much around that, and I'm not going to sway. Everybody has a choice. And I was like you. I, I chose not for a long time just because they didn't have enough research. Um, but then I knew people who died around me. Yeah. Uh, and both my daughters. And so I just had gotten sick. And so um, it just was... It helps me. I don't want to die anytime soon. So if I do get COVID, then I know that I'm at least protecting some level and I won't have as bad as side effects or serious yeah. symptoms as not having had the vaccination. But okay, that's personal. All right. Um, wow. We blew through all the questions today that I actually had circled for us. So I can go to these other ones, which is good. Um, okay. So this one's from Russia. You spoke about how unforgiveness can have a bearing on our eternal life. If Jesus died for my sins, then how does my unforgiveness towards another person affect my eternity with God? That kind of goes with the characteristics of God, too, I think. Pardon me? That first question we talked about, the characteristics of God, it yeah. goes with it, too. Well, um, and this comes from my uh, program I did on Bible warnings. And I, I uh, basically talked about uh, unforgiveness is a warning from the Bible. Okay, we need to be careful that we're not uh, unforgiving. Um, it has... Your salvation is based on your relationship and the fact that Jesus is your Lord. Uh, what goes along with that is that you follow the teachings of Jesus. In order to make him Lord of your life, we have to understand what does it mean that Jesus is your Lord. That means he's your master. That means you follow what he tells you. You, fo you follow his commandments. You follow his teachings. Okay? That is making Jesus Lord. Making Jesus Lord isn't say, hi, you're my Lord and I can live the way I want. That, that, then he's not your Lord. So you need to follow the teachings. So one of the teachings in Matthew uh, after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says that you need to forgive one another as uh, you've been forgiven. If you don't forgive others, a Father in heaven will not forgive you. To make it more real, there Jesus put, talks about, uh, well, this is in Matthew chapter 18. Peter says, how many times should we forgive? Seven times. And Jesus says, no, seven times 70, basically. Which, you know, we to calculate it at 490 times we forgive mm -hmm. somebody. And, it, and really the idea is, you know, that we, just, we don't stop forgiving. We continue to forgive. But um, the, the verse that goes on and talks about, I have the verse here. Um, he says, okay, so he goes on and talks about this is what the kingdom of heaven is and is about... Um, a guy who decided to settle up all his accounts, okay? Mm -hmm. And so he brings people in, he settles their accounts, and he brings in a guy, and he says this. He's, the guy owes him like thousands of dollars now. Um, and this is in modern terms. So let's say thousands of dollars, and the guy didn't have the money. So he got down on his knees, and he begged and cried, oh, please forgive me, you know, I, I don't have it, you know, because he was going to put him in jail, you know, until he paid off his debt. And uh, we know how that goes. You can't pay off a debt while you're in jail no, anyway. No, <laughs> So he begged and pleaded and begged and pleaded. And finally the guy, you know, said, okay, uh, I'll forgive your debt. Just, you know, you're fine. You know, it's done. And then that same guy who owed thousands of dollars was back out and about and find somebody owed him like a hundred bucks. Mm. And so the guy said, I don't have a hundred dollars got down on his knees and begged and begged and begged, please forgive my debt and please forgive my debt. And the guy did not forgive him and instead got upset with him, called the police, had him thrown in jail to and, and remain there until he paid off his $100. Well, then people saw this, told the first main master guy what happened. He pulled in the guy that owed him $1,000 and, and basically you know, told him off. This is you terrible person, you know, you know, how could you go after somebody who owed you little and I forgave you a lot? Mm. Okay. Yeah. And then what, and then basically yeah. he has the guy then thrown in jail. He uh -huh. says, you're done. We're, we have, we're, we're done with this. But Jesus says something that I think is very important. Uh, he says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. 
And it's because he has forgiven us for so much because we all fail. Yeah. Tell you. So forgiveness is we're to become like Jesus and the characteristics of God. One of the characteristics is forgiveness and we need to become forgiveness. We need to become that very essence that God is. Okay. That's what that he built with us when, when God created mankind, okay, Adam and Eve, he created them in his image, in his likeness, which basically means his moral likeness, the, the fact, fiber of holiness, love, forgiveness, all those things. It, and it's been broken. And we tend to treat people in ways that are, are terrible yeah. because we don't want to forgive them. Now, a lot of people think that forgiving, and some people teach that forgiving is means that if uh, somebody asks you forgiveness, you've got to let them back in your life. You've got to do right. things with them and so forth. But that's not true either. I mean, I've known and I've counseled with many people where, uh, say, a husband or a guy beats his wife or girlfriend and then says, yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry. And then, and she forgives him. And then a couple of days later, he beats her again. And he says, oh, I'm sorry. And she forgives him. You know, and this can go on for days, weeks, years. And uh, I've known people who have separated or divorced, and they'll be told they need to forgive that person who did that. What they're thinking is that now they have to let them back in their life, and that's right. not true. What the idea of forgiveness is is that you don't hold them accountable any longer for what they've done. Right. It doesn't mean you, mean you need to jump back in their life or let them jump in yours. You can be forgiving and still maintain that safety net where you don't have to get hurt, killed, you know, abused again. Right. I think there's a difference to too, though. Sometimes we harden our heart towards that reconciliation because right. God also talks and, about reconciliation. And there are times where, am I going to over? We got four. Oh, okay. I'll let you speak on that. Um, so basically what we need to understand is God said his son, while we were sinners, Jesus died for our sin and forgave us. That's the important thing to understand. And that's the important thing to take into our heart and live. So basically, forgiveness, okay, is it's like second nature. It's like you breathe air, you forgive. You mm-hmm. become forgiveness. It's like you breathe air, you become love. It's that the very essence, you become that, just like God is forgiveness. It's mm-hmm. not that he's forgiving. He is forgiveness. So we need to become like him, which is forgiveness. And and then so when you look at the, what God has done for us, I mean, we can't say, there's nobody in the world can say, I've been such a perfect person and God forgave me. <laughs> no, we were all terrible sinners or, or, or sinners to some point and God right. forgave us. Yeah. And he's telling us, you need to go to that point and see how you've been forgiven, and you need to be able to reach out and be forgiving to others. And if you can't do that, then the Father is not going to do it for you. Right, right. I agree. I just think, you know, and I'm, I love that piece on it. It's so such a fine line, and it's hard because I think the church itself, growing for myself, my own experiences growing up was that you had to forgive every time, you know, that happened in my house. But it was different versus then forgiving someone because I think relationships – true relationships that last long yeah. need a lot of grace and forgiveness because we screw up all the time. Right, Susan? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we need to have that person who doesn't harden their heart every time we have done, you know, something that maybe they didn't like or hurt that our, our spouse or our person that we're with. Yeah. And, um, you know, if, if we, if we don't have a forgiving heart, it's not just one person we're not going to be forgiving toward. You're going to start not forgiving others. And it's yeah. because you just have an unforgiving heart. Right. And it goes back to that. It's all about relationship. And it's, it's like really... I've cut you off. No reconciliation is possible. I'm just going to yeah. leave it. No. So, um, so I think it's a warning. I think it's a dangerous spot. Mm-hmm. So uh, read that question one more time. I want to know if I'm missing anything out of that. Okay. Let me... Okay. You spoke about unforgiveness can have a bearing on our eternal life. If Jesus died for my sins, then how does my unforgiveness toward another person affect my eternity with God? Okay. So, yeah. So, God, basically, Jesus says it does. That's mm-hmm. why. And if you read in Matthew chapter 5 the uh, about the Father not forgiving, if you're not forgiving Matthew chapter 18, you'll see that Jesus flat out tells you that if you're not forgiving, it's going to affect your eternal life. It's mm-hmm. not coming from me. And I'm not interpreting anything. Jesus flat out says it black and white. Yeah. 
So it's beautiful. I love having these sessions with you. It's fun. Oh, I like dialoguing. It makes me really think <laughs> a lot more. I, I like it. I enjoy it a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, it looks like we're out of time. So anyway, that was a good session. I enjoyed yeah, it. And so I'm so glad you come and so glad you're here and available. Well, I feel blessed you asked me. So yeah, um, I'm very gracious. Okay. But thank you for joining us this today. And, uh, for the Believer's Journey, and we'll see you in another week. Aloha. Alan Cutting and the Believer's Journey radio program seeks to teach the Word of God in a clear and practical manner. For more information, please visit the podcast page at am630theword.com.